Steve and Justin use YCharts for their winning investment research. So start your free trial now. And if you purchase, mention InvestTalk and get a generous discount at YCharts.com. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, February 11th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And I am Justin Klein, and I thank you for joining me on today's program. And whether you are a regular listener or maybe new to the program, we have a serious objective each and every day here on Invest Talk. And that objective is to help you achieve financial freedom by helping you become a better investor and, and frankly, a better allocator of your capital, right? Your money, whatever that is, whether that's in an IRA, in your bank account, whether in your 401k, however that is, as well as better allocator of your time, trying to weed out the noise that you see out there and focus on what really matters. And in the end, the ultimate goal is financial freedom and financial freedom, when you think about it, is defined by each person in the way that they see fit. And so you need to define that for yourself in a very concrete way, hopefully, right? Uh, I need this amount of money. I need this amount of cash flow. This is the type of life I want to lead if I'm going to be my happiest, right? We all want more money, we want more, uh, more flexibility with our lives. But what does that really look like for you? You know, we're all working hard to get to that point where we don't have to work so hard. We want to live and work and play in a comfort zone, a place where we are assured that our economic circumstances are not only stable and well-funded, but they fit our ideal life path. And life doesn't always go how you see fit, but if you don't have a vision for what that life looks like, odds are you're never going to get to that point. You don't just stumble into happiness or uh, being assured of your financial freedom. You need to define it, set out a path, and go down that path as diligently and consistently as you possibly can. So everyone's going to have slightly different variations, but the important takeaway here is that you reach your goal and you need to start now. And like I said, be persistent. Now today in this hour, I'm going to do my best to help you get there one step at a time. And along the way, I hope you will participate in the show because that's what this show is all about. It's about you, you, the investor, you, the saver, you the listener. And the way you participate is by calling with your finance investing questions or anytime listener line is open right now and I'm taking your calls live at 888 chart Now we are now into the seventh week of 2019. That means more than 10% of this year is already over. Earnings have been pretty good. The economy remains growing, 
even though at a slower pace. We still have a lot of potential overhangs. A lot of people talking about the government shutdown, the Chinese trade agreement. But those are just headlines. What really matters? Well, what really matters are corporate profits. For the first quarter of this year, earnings are supposed to be now negative year over year. Now, the fourth quarter was up uh, on average now based on a 300 and some odd filings uh, by S&P 500 companies was up about 14%. But you have to look back. Now we have different comps and the comps are going to get a lot tougher. And that's why you're seeing and likely going to see an earnings recession. Now everyone has also been talking about the tech wonder of Netflix. The big dog in the streaming content game. And now Netflix says password sharing cost the company $2.3 billion last year. I believe this. I mean, I logged into many Netflix accounts of people of, of ones that I'm not paying, uh, frankly, throughout the years. So it makes sense. So they could resist the temptation to crack down on password sharing, instead roll out more reasonable family plans. And I think that's what you're going to see over the next few months is cracking down on that, but trying to make it more palatable to people to uh, log on legally, right, through, uh, you know, limiting the number of sign-ons that you can have with an account, but, you know, adding on maybe family plans with four, five, six logins, things like that. You could see that coming, and that's likely on the docket for Netflix. And, uh, you know, how, and I think this is something that's going to be larger with a lot of the cloud companies. When you pay for, a login, you know, you can log in anywhere, which also means you can log in with from different people. So I think that's something that I think a lot of uh, will be the next phase of when once growth kind of hits a plateau. And that's what you're seeing, I think, with Netflix is growth is starting to come down a little bit. And they're going to gonna have to find ways to iteratively increase revenue. Now, as you can tell, there's a lot of interesting market news to talk about today. But first, let's grab one of one of uh, let's grab a live call. Let's talk to Daniel in Palo Alto. He's asking about Match. How you doing, Daniel? Hi, Justin. Pretty good, thank you, sir. Pretty good, thank you, sir. Yeah, I wasn't asking to. Thanks for calling. For a date. I was asking for just whether I should stay in it or not. I'm I'm in I'm in it. It's it's gone up pretty well. It's gone up pretty well. Okay, well, this is uh, Match Group. They provide dating products in 42 languages, a portfolio of brands across more than 190 countries. Uh, primarily, their businesses are Match.com as well as Tinder, right? Uh, and Tinder's become more and more popular. And, uh, you know, this is a, a platform where uh, it's not just the subscription model that they drives revenue for them, but it also has a lot to do with the data that they get, you know, which, you know, what, what type of pictures are you swiping on? You know, how often are you using it? Where are you using it? Uh, you know, different pieces of data that they're collecting in order to drive more, uh, more advertising as well as 
selling off the data uh, to third parties, which you know happens as well. I'm not sure if Match does that, but uh, a lot of these platforms do that. So the big question now is how will the 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 tightening policy, changing regulatory environment affect the tech giants and match. I wouldn't know if it's be called the tech tech giants. It's about a sixteen billion dollar company, and it is kind of on the expensive side. I will say that enterprise value to EBITDA is almost thirty, twenty eight point seven, and return on equity very strong, one hundred one percent return on assets twenty one. So it's a very very profitable con- company. And it's trading at a premium for a reason. But let's look at revenue growth year over year. And that looks to be slowing. And that's, I think, the issue. Uh, back in March of last year, the second quarter or first quarter of last year, revenues were up 36% year over year. Now we're only up 20% year over year. And that, I think, is the issue. So uh, from a technical basis, it looks a little overbought. And I would be selling in here. I think uh, you're up on it, right? Yes, sir. About twenty five. Yeah, I would take your I would take your profits here. The markets are overbought. Uh, tech has had a nice comeback, but you know the valuation on Match Group uh, is is definitely uh, overvalued. Uh, you know, could the momentum continue? Uh, possibly, but I think you're in a sketchy part of not only the uh, the business cycle, but on uh, the stock valuation as well, with earnings dropping 22% last quarter year over year. So I would take your profits, and I think there'll be a drastic revaluation of this name in the coming years. Thanks for the call. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I wanted to thank you for making this program a part of your routine. Steve and I do our best to make it interesting and instructive for you each and every weekday and whenever you have an investment question i encourage you to listen to our podcast library so search subscribe and rate the invest talk podcast at itunes spotify or google play as well and now i'm taking your questions live at 888 chart this is invest talk are you doing everything possible to make sure that your investments are performing as well as they should be? Well, there's a treasure trove of wealth building information freely accessible right now at investtalk.com. You'll find investment strategies and unbiased guidance. The phone lines are open, Justin's here, and he's ready for your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to James in San Jose. He's looking at Bank of America. How are you doing, James? Hey, uh, very good, Justin. Uh, wanted to see what your 12-month price target would be and what is the downside risk? Well, the downside risk for Bank of America really is economic, right? Uh, you've had a lot of bad loans being put back on the balance sheet as good loans over the last uh, you know 8 to 10 years or so and that has driven our earnings growth uh, uh, over the past decade or so as you can see revenues up 18% year over year last quarter and earnings up 49% year over year so the big question is are you bullish on the economy James or are you bearish on the economy I uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm asking you the question. Oh, I, I said I'm bullish. 
Oh, you're bullish. Well, if you're bullish, then you should be in this thing because it's going to be cyclical, pays a nice 2.1% dividend. And if you're bullish on the economy, then revenue should continue higher, uh, especially with the broad base of business that they do nowadays with, uh, you know, remember in the financial crisis, they picked up uh, likes of Merrill Lynch and a lot of other companies that were on the brink of bankruptcy back then. And so it's a much bigger company, uh, much more diversified, and that's a positive, especially as the economy expands. Now, if the economy continues to slow and we go into recession, maybe next year, this is not a name that I would be in. Uh, I'm just not a fan of financials right now. But if you're bullish on the economy and you're differ from me, then you would be buying it. But that's not a name that I would buy. But thanks for the call, James. Let's go to Michael in Tampa. He's looking at Activision and Blizzard, correct? Correct. And Justin, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I bought it today. Um, technically, it's bad, so I, I realize that now. But uh, Morningstar has a, a five-star buy at the price it is now. And more importantly, I like that they're getting into the virtual video game space, uh, the augmented reality and all that. And I was just wondering your thoughts, if it's still expensive, even at this 52-week low, or you would think that it is at a good evaluation currently? Hmm. Let me take a look at this. Now, Activision Blizzard, this is a publisher of interactive entertainment software and a peripheral products for consoles, handheld devices, etc. $30 billion company, and it was a lot larger just a few months ago, a 52-week high of $84.68. Today, we're up $40.11, down 52% in just a short period of time. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly the news that has driven this down. Can you uh, jog my memory, Michael? Uh, it's because EA's earnings were, were disappointing to its competitor, and it's releasing earnings tomorrow. So I think a lot of investors mm -hmm. are punishing in anticipation. Got it. Okay. Well, this is a, a name that is going to be inherently volatile. It's, a, it's an area that is... Uh, changes quickly, right? With Fortnite and everything, uh, that's a pretty popular game that's uh, taken away a lot of attention from uh, Activision, EA, etc. And it's going to be constantly changing. They're always chasing that next hit, and if they get the hit, they're doing well. And if they don't, uh, they're not. So uh, they bought at Blizzard uh, some years back, and that's been kind of a, a mixed result, uh, especially uh, internally with Blizzard. I don't see any big reason to buy it yet, uh, to be honest with you. I think there's uh, a lot more downside potential than upside in the near term. Now, long term, I think they'll write the ship. So it's up to your time horizon, Michael. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk. You are listening to Invest Talk, the daily market news and analysis program dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. And if you've been following the market swings, you understand how important it is to have Steve and Justin's unbiased guidance. Right now, you can get your questions answered live. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to James in New York. He's looking at Afria Incorporated. Looking to buy it, sell it, give it away. What is it, James? 
I'm um, thinking of maybe buying it. I realize it's very speculative, but it looks like from what I show, they do have some earnings. So um, contemplating a very small position because I'm very uh, resistant to these cannabis stocks. But I uh, just wanted mm-hmm. to know what you thought of this one. Well, technically, it looks pretty poor. Uh, you know, you had a high in 2018, early part of 2018, of almost $20 a share. Sold off, hit a low of roughly a little under $7 a share in, what was that, August of last year. Rallied very quickly to about, uh, doubled, about a little over doubled uh, to close to $17 a share in late September. And sold off hard into really early just excuse me, early December. And now we're having another lower high uh, that it's come off about a little under $11. So you have a high around a little shy of 20, a little a lower high, a little shy of 17, and now a lower high, a little shy of 11. So to me, this is lower highs and lower lows. And from the technical perspective, that is not a good picture. Uh, $2 billion valuation on Afria. And this is my general guideline when it comes to the cannabis space. Who are the big winners going to be is the big question. And in my mind, it's going to be the distributors of the products, not those that are growing the flower and processing it and putting it into products, which frankly, that's what Afria does, right? They, let's look at the description. So again, it operates uh, in Ontario, Canada. It's focused on producing and selling medical marijuana and its derivatives through retail sales and wholesale channels. So it's producing it and selling it. It's a weed, right? That's why they call it weed, right? It grows very easily. The supply is only going to drastically increase, okay? So what's going to happen to any type of commodity when supply increases? Well, the price goes down. And eventually, the massive margins that were created during the black market era of cannabis are eventually going to go away completely. And the winners are going to be those that have distribution, that are that have control of where the products are being sold. Okay. And they're the ones that are going to be able to make the profits. Because right now, you know, can't really buy it online that easily. Not that I know. I don't I haven't bought it and tried to buy it uh, at all. But, um, you know, it doesn't seem like something you can buy online. You need distributors. You need uh, storefronts to sell it. You need to have the regulation uh, ironed out with the local governments, right? So all those things are important. And those are the companies that are going to make the profits in this industry, not the Afrias of the world. So while the technical perspective looks poor, the valuation looks poor, what's most important to me is where they're situated in the entire supply chain. And I don't see those producing the flour as those that are going to really make a lot of money in the cannabis space, at least long term. Sure, in the, in the short term, but it'll eventually be 
competed away. And that's why I would not be buying Afria. Sounds good, James? Yeah, could you give an example of a company that might qualify like as a distributor, like what you mean by that? Like the type of company? Would like Philip Morris be an example of such? Not really, uh, although they're they're definitely getting into it. Um, my favorite in the space would probably be uh, CRON, Kronos Group. That would be my favorite. But once again, still extremely, extremely risky, extremely uh, speculative, like you said. Thanks for the call. Now, our main talking point today is about monopolies and technology companies. You know, monopolies limit competition and lead to abuse of power. And there is some evidence that the capabilities of the tech industry giants have outpaced those of U.S. policy makers. So we're going to look at that story, what that means, what happened in India recently that may be a precursor to what happens here and globally uh, and when it comes to regulation around the tech industries. I also have some other things to discuss. One has to do with book values. I'm getting this question a lot. You know, the book value is this and, uh, you know, why does it look so off? And I'm going to explain a little bit more detail why that is. Also, 5G, how that will impact our world. And then lastly, maybe some smart income strategies for retirement if we have time. So that's what's on my mind, and I want to hear what's on yours. Now, tomorrow on Invest Talk, more than two in three bankruptcies are caused by medical problems, even for people with health insurance. We'll talk about it. The one thing most likely to cause your financial ruin. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Made possible by KPP Financial, where every investor has an opportunity to determine their risk tolerance by using a free online tool at investtalk.com. It's called Riskalyze. Riskalyze offers valuable technology that will pinpoint with unmatched accuracy a client's acceptable level of risk. So know this, your first step to greater financial success is taking a short Riskalyze risk questionnaire. Steve and Justin can use the results to ensure that the risk in your portfolio becomes aligned with your investment goals and expectations. In other words, your particular financial situation. So why wait? You can get started controlling your investment destiny right now at no cost. Go to the Invest Talk menu link at investtalk.com, scroll down and click on Risk Questionnaire. Twenty nineteen has certainly been interesting for investors so far. Steve and Justin encourage you to make Invest Talk a part of your daily routine. Their unbiased guidance can be an invaluable aid to your efforts at building a strong portfolio as you work and plan for your comfortable financial future. Now the phone lines are open, Justin's here, and he's taking your questions live. 888-99-CHART. 
888-99 chart 888-992-4278 that's how you get through and ask your question on today's show and i urge you to do that sooner rather than later if you're going to now today's main talking point is about the tech industry and the power of the monopolies that they've really built around their businesses i'm talking about the large uh, Facebooks and Amazons and Googles uh, and Apples of the world, right? And India has been accused of resorting to protectionism recently because it just enacted regulation that limit that imposes limits on e-commerce platforms. Now, in 2014, Peter Thiel, uh, PayPal co-founder, Facebook board member, he kind of exposed the industry, Silicon Valley. And the fact that it builds monopolies. Now, he liked the fact that it builds monopolies. But many see this as a problem for not just the global economy uh, and maybe the rise of populism, uh, but just killing capitalism in general, limiting competition and their abuse of power. You know, we look at uh, what has happened with. You know, on both sides of the aisle, the, the left is mad about Facebook because they think that they uh, were part of a, some sort of Russian collusion in Trump. You may or may not agree with that. And on the right, the, they're mad at Facebook because they think they're the, the, the left-leaning Silicon Valley um, culture has caused them to edit the algorithm so that any right-leaning news is filtered away, right? So both sides of the political aisle have their qualms about the power that Facebook is wielding or has wielded in the past. And there are many company, other companies that I think wield similar types of power on society as a whole uh, and businesses as a whole. Uh, you know, the, the like button, the feeds that we have with Twitter and Facebook, it creates a psychological addiction for many people. You know, there, there's been proven that the dopamine of getting a like is very addicting. Right. If you get it, if you see someone liked your photo or your post or retweeted it or whatever, or responded it in some way positively, that's a dopamine release, and that is an addictive thing. And they're using this addiction of this dopamine release to increase their profits. And Amazon is using its position, dominant position, to encroach on many different industries. Now, a good analogy for this is that, think of a mall owner, that they create a shared infrastructure, parking lots, uh, installed uh, utilities, um, security, insurance, all these things that make the store owners better off, right? Because they have this scale that they can do all these things that these store owners can't do individually. And everybody benefits because of it. It's kind of like, it's like a network effect, right? And it's usually a win-win. 
But when it comes to Amazon, what they're doing is they are leveraging the data that they can collect from the retailers on the platform and they're doing a couple things. One is they're saying these are the popular items. We're going to go produce that them ourselves. We know that this many people want to uh, want these type of products and they'll pay this dollar amount. We're going to go source our own products based on all this criteria and now put that at the top of our list when people are searching for things and filter away the company's products that they built that data upon. So they're innovating, not innovating, they're using their platform and that data, that position to compete away the same companies that are selling on their platform. And it's killing e-commerce. 50% of all e-commerce happens on Amazon. And it's killing the profits of almost every other e-commerce uh, site on the internet. And this is only really good for Amazon. And it really reminds me of a monopoly, right? Because if everyone's going to Amazon, they're going to be able to dominate the e-commerce space continually. And that's likely not going to change until regulation comes along and says, Amazon, you can do one or the other. You're either the mall owner or you're a retailer, right? You're not both. You can't be both. And I think these are the type of regulations that are coming down the pipe for many large tech companies. And I think it's only inevitable. This isn't something that is just an idea. India is doing it. Uh, Europe is looking into things like this. These are platforms that are supposed to be good for society. And in many ways, their dominance and their chase of profits are making things worse for society. And it's up to the governments, which frankly are, are either lax or just they don't understand the complexities of the internet. And I think that is likely going to change over the coming years as more and more scandals come out of Silicon Valley. Now, Invest Talk is made better when you get us your questions. So let's go to a question that came in earlier on our anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. Hi, fabulous Invest Talk, Justin and Steve. I have a question about robo-advisors. I'm going into retirement and I'm wondering about the value of robo-advisors. What are the pros and cons of using a robo-advisor type service? Thank you. All right, well, the pros of a robo-advising service is that it's simple. Uh, it should be simple to understand. They're probably going to use a handful of ETFs or uh, mutual funds to build you a portfolio, and you're going to run some sort of risk questionnaire, which is something you know we similarly do for our clients. Uh, the, the cons are that you're just going to be indexed, uh, and this 
the, the rise of the robo-advisor and uh, the focus of many of the large uh, vanguards and fidelities of the world to push people into indexing uh, has created an era of people over-indexing, crowded into the same trade. This is very similar to what happened in the nifty or the 1960s. It was called the nifty 50 back then. The idea was that you just buy these 50 stocks. That's it. It's simple. You don't got to think about it. Boom, done, right? Well, what happened was there was a massive recession in, or not to say massive, but a pretty strong recession in the early 70s. And suddenly that trade started to get unwound. And those who thought that this was a safe trade or a safe investment started to sell because they saw the value of their portfolio dropping 10, 20, 30%. And it exacerbated the downside of the market. And the, if you look back, the recession or the bear market of the 73, 74 was one of the worst that we've seen over the past 100 years. You know, not, not as bad as the Great Depression or 08, but pretty close to 08. Uh, and I see something very similar happening once we do hit the next bear market, which I do think we're in. It's going to be probably choppier, but eventually that's going to hit a crescendo to where all these people who are in robo or in robo advising services or just have simply indexed through their 401k <clears throat> excuse me 401k or other uh, accounts uh, i've just tried to be super simple but they've been crowding into a particular trade and so to me that's the biggest drawback if you have a small amount of money not a big deal it keeps things simple but when you have six figures plus it's a lot more uh palatable or easier to create a strategy that is designed for you. You know, that's what we do for clients. We, we figure out, okay, what is your goal? What is your risk tolerance? What type of account do you have? What is the best strategy for that particular situation? And an advisor, somebody who understands more sophisticated strategies can execute those things on your behalf. And so those are kind of the pros and cons of robo-advising services. Not bad, especially when you're starting out. A good way to continue to save, watch, understand how the market's doing. But once you get to you know close to six figures or more, uh, it starts making more sense to think more intelligently about your asset allocation strategy. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we stream and broadcast Invest Talk live on the 4 o'clock Pacific time hour each weekday. And it's also available 24-7 via our archive podcast at investtalk.com. I hope you'll tell your friends and family members about InvestTalk. And now the phone lines are open and we are taking your finance or investing questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is InvestTalk, made possible by KPP Financial, where they describe their services as independent thinking, shared success. And this philosophy is why KPP Financial can be of great value to investors. KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are committed to unbiased guidance. They don't upsell clients into expensive and questionable investments. Instead, Steve and Justin provide honest opinions and proven strategies based on the individual's current portfolio and risk tolerance. Working with KPP Financial, you can be assured of consistent dedication toward the goal of helping you achieve financial freedom. 
You can get things started with a phone call or a simple message through investtalk.com. The Invest Talk Radio and Podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with your questions. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Chris in Oregon. He's looking at Oracle. Yes, hi. I um, I own Oracle. I've owned it for a long time, but uh, I also have Microsoft and Intel. And um, I was thinking of selling it when it was kind of at the bottom, but now I see it now at the top of where it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe I'm thinking that I should get out of this thing before um, – and might hit those lows again, but I'm a little confused. I the news seems to be um, a little confusing to me. I, I don't know what's going on. Well, what do you mean by that? Do you, you don't know what's going on when it comes to earnings, revenue, direction of the company? What? Well, uh, part of the thing in the news they were talking about the cloud, and Oracle wasn't uh, kind of. Um, uh, considered uh, as as being one of the top people to being in the cloud, and mm-hmm. and they did a and they tanked down in the bottom of 2018, I think because of that. But they've grown back to where they initially started at 51.23. But some of the news I see in Finviz says that they're um, they might have some legal issues. And so I thought I'd maybe contact you guys and find out, maybe uh, give me some little better idea of what's going on with this company, whether I should hold on to it or not. Well, I don't know much about the legal issues, to be to be honest with you. Uh, we haven't invested in Oracle in a while, and uh, you know, it's it's kind of gone sideways for a couple of years now, right? Two thousand mid two thousand seventeen, it was at about forty five dollars a share or so, hanging around there. Went to as high as uh, fifty three forty eight over the past year. And now we're pretty close to that 51.23. So it's kind of been chopping sideways, yields 1.5%. And the reason it's gone sideways is really growth has stalled. Revenues are really flat over the year over year. uh, And earnings are up 16% year over year, which is positive. Uh, but you're right. They aren't in uh, aren't a strong cloud player, but they do have a strong uh, install base. And uh, I do think that eventually, if they don't pivot stronger to the cloud, they're likely going to be uh, left behind. So uh, I would take this opportunity to sell just because I don't think the growth is there. And the dividend to me is not exciting enough for me to uh, to hold on to it and sit there and, and clip the, that one and a half percent coupon. And I don't, I, I don't like that you're saying there's some sort of uh, legal overhang. I don't know the details on it, but certainly something to look into. Uh, enterprise value EBIT is about 11. Its historical range is around uh, 12 to 8, right, between there. And you're closer to the high end. So I don't think there's a whole lot of upside. I don't love the tech space right now, especially the hardware space of the tech industry. And Oracle is certainly there. So I'm not a huge fan of Oracle at these levels. I would probably move on. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk, and I'm Justin Klein. Things are moving fast. We are already into the second week of February. So now is the time to get your investment portfolio in order. 
We still have time, and we have about 10 minutes left remaining in today's program. So I'm taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, more than two in three bankruptcies are caused by medical problems, even for people with health insurance. The one thing most likely to cause your financial ruin. That story tomorrow. But now, Justin is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your calls. 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. We have five minutes left in the show, so if you're going to call, do it now. I want to talk a little bit about book values, and this has been a question that I've received over the past few weeks. Uh, Interesting enough, I've had a, a handful and I know these things can be a little complex, but uh, a lot of people are looking at how much a company's trading times book or uh, you know what, how the book value can be negative, for example, things like that. And I'm going to give you three ways that book values can really be deceiving, okay? And... The main ways, there's three ways. One there are asset impairments. And if you own an asset or a company owns an asset and they can lose economic value more rapidly than they originally had thought. Uh, for example, energy prices or economic uh, innovation, or sorry, technology innovation can really change the economics around the assets that a company might hold. Uh, for example, oil rigs, right? If the value of oil goes down to a level where maybe it's a good, deep, good, good example, deep water rigs. Deep water rigs are very expensive. They're very large. Deep water drilling only makes sense at certain uh, prices of oil. And if oil prices, say, go down to $20 a barrel, the oil rigs that might be on the balance sheet of a company like Transocean are going to be worth a lot less. Now, they could write them down as impaired assets or they could leave them on the balance sheet and at the higher valuation, right? Say they have $100 million worth of rigs, but now they're impaired because they're not really worth anything because the value of oil is so low. You, They should write those down to zero or near zero. And if oil prices rebound to a certain level, then they can write them back up, no longer impaired, etc. So that's a good example of how the value on a balance sheet can be drastically different than the real economic value of a particular asset a company holds. Right? Same with technology assets. You know, the you might purchase a, a server farm. But if that server farm suddenly becomes too slow because it got innovated away, it might, on the balance sheet, be worth, say, $100 million, but it's really worth nothing because nobody's going to use it to deploy anything, okay? So that's a great example of how asset impairments can really change what a balance sheet looks like. And then there's mark-to-market accounting versus held to maturity. This is one of the reasons why a lot of banks are trading below book value because they have assets that are quote unquote held to maturity and therefore on the balance sheet look a lot higher in value than their true value is if they were to go sell that asset 
in the overall in the marketplace right so how companies especially financial companies uh, change their held in maturity assets versus mark to market assets then it changes the valuation of that uh that book value and then lastly goodwill and real property you typically don't depreciate land and therefore you can maybe hold it on the books you might own a piece of property a piece of land that, that a company maybe has held for 20 plus years and the value is much higher but on the book it's much lower because they bought it such a long time ago so book value is good to know but you have to understand how it can be manipulated and also misled both to the downside and the upside now let's go use in one more caller question that came in earlier at 888.99 chart hi steve and justin this is mike from tracy i was just wondering on technical analysis what are your favorite go-to tools that you use in order to um, do a deep dive on a uh, on a stock great show really appreciate all the uh, education that you're providing your audience have a great day thanks Bye. All right, when it comes to technical analysis, we use eSignal. It's called Advanced Get by eSignal. Uh, it's, it's kind of expensive, so if you want to spend the money on it, that's what I would go with. Uh, we also we use TD Ameritrade to custody our client assets, make trades, etc. And their platform, Thinkorswim, has a pretty good charting platform. I don't think it's as good as it, but if you're looking for something that has uh, pretty robust tools, and it's not gonna cost you anymore, you just have to have your account at, T at TD Ameritrade, that's probably the way I would go. Thanks for the call. I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program, and I thank you for your loyal support and questions. Have a nice evening, everybody. Steve will be here tomorrow. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.